So good to be with you after I was away with my family last week, and I'll be away next week down in Virginia on the mission trip, serving uh, two women in need, doing improvements on their home there in the Appalachian region of Southwest Virginia. But this morning, we're diving back into our series that we're doing this summer on the parables, stories of the kingdom. Everyone likes a good story, right? Stories have been around since since the time of, of, of Adam and Eve, of humanity, before there were movies and radios, people sat around fires and, and in ancient cultures they told stories, they passed down lessons of history and, 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 and lessons for life and even entertainment. Um, and hopefully even now you have opportunity maybe this summer to get together with friends and family, sit on the beach, sit around a campfire and, and as my uh, cousin says, talk story. And, and so you share and reminisce and you laugh together. Stories are powerful, right? Whether we know it or not, most stories teach us some kind of, of lesson, teach us something about life. And that was the purpose of the parables that Jesus told was to inform us. You look through the gospels, there's about 30 different parables, these stories of the kingdom. Some of them are very long and involved with several characters conveying lessons about the kingdom. Others are, are quite simple. They're just one sentence similes. The kingdom of God is like. And whether it's a short metaphor or a long allegory, these parables are meant to be engaging. They're narratives that are meant to draw you in to illustrate something about God's kingdom. We see something in these parables about His character, about our call to discipleship, about the dangers of those that reject the Lord, about what it means to grow here and now, about our eternal future. As Pastor Matt pointed out last week, most of the parables are comparing and contrasting at least two different realities to make a point. We saw last week in in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. This is, in essence, a parable about parables to explain the other parables. We're going to continue, actually, in Matthew 13, so you can turn there now. If you're using one of the Bibles from the back table, it's page 818. We're going to continue in the parables that Jesus told there that Matthew records for us. In one sense, the parables, as we saw last week, kind of make the kingdom easier to understand. But in another sense, they hide the truths of the kingdom from those that are still outside of it, right? We saw those four responses, four conditions of the heart last week. Those that have a hard heart or a rocky heart or a thorny heart or a fertile heart. And see, for some people, even even with these catchy stories, the truths of the kingdom are hidden they are secrets that need to be revealed, but some, to some they are still hidden. If you scan down in, in Matthew 13 and verse 34 and 35, Jesus gives more insight into the purpose of the parables. He says this in 34, All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, indeed he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, of course, Jesus taught in ways other than just parables, but he's making a point here. He quotes from Psalm 78 to show that whatever he taught, whether it was directly in a parable or or not, he was revealing hidden truths. And some people understood what Jesus was teaching and some people did not. Some people accepted it and some rejected it. And in the passage we're going to read this morning, after Jesus leaves the crowd, his disciples don't understand the parable he just taught. And so in private, they're going to say to him, Jesus, what did that mean? And he's going to reveal to them and explain to them the parable. And so we pray and we ask, as the disciples did, God, reveal your hidden truth. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see as we read, unpack these stories of the kingdom that they speak to our hearts about the kingdom of God. Over 80 times in the gospel, we hear the language of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It means the rule of God, the reign of God. God is king, and so his influence in our world is his kingdom. And when Jesus came and began his ministry, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it's close. Jesus came, he brought the kingdom. He is the kingdom. And he said that he ruled over a kingdom that was not of this world, right? The kingdom of of the Lord is is beyond this world. But Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day, Jesus will return and bring his kingdom in full. But for now, he often uses you and I to answer that prayer that the kingdom would come. And so, for those who follow Jesus, we're members of the kingdom. And, and where we go, we bring the kingdom of God. On earth as it is in heaven. We are God's ambassadors representing the kingdom of heaven. God's messengers speaking truths of the kingdom. 
We are God's soldiers doing spiritual battle for the kingdom. God's children who are the kingdom. And so where we go, the kingdom goes. But we can ask, how is it that the kingdom comes? What does it look like? What does it mean? How does it happen? How does the kingdom of God change hearts? How does the kingdom of God impact the world? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's exactly what the three parables we're going to look at this morning are all about. We're going to pick up in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24, and we're going to read three parables. One's a longer story about a farmer and his fields. And like the parable of the sower, this is one of the few parables that Jesus is going to directly explain for us. But in between the, the teaching of the parable about this farmer and the explanation, there are two other shorter parables. One about a mustard seed and one about yeast. And all of these parables are linked together with a common theme because they show us what kingdom impact looks like. What does it look like when the kingdom impacts a life, impacts a community, ultimately impacts God's world? And so we're going to see and hear this morning what kingdom impact looks like. So we're going to read, beginning with the parable, maybe noted in your Bible, is the parable of the weeds. In Matthew 13, 24. Let's pause and ask the Spirit to help us and then we'll read and unpack together. God in heaven, we thank you that you are king. We submit to you and we look to you now as king and we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in this room, in our hearts, in our community as it is in heaven. And we pray now, Father, that as your word is read, as we study and unpack together, that you would send your spirit to give us ears to hear and eyes to hear. Lord, we confess that without your Holy Spirit, the Bible is often disconnected, even confusing, hard to follow. And so we pray that you would give us understanding, that your spirit would reveal truths to our heart, that you would stir faith and obedience, that you would enable us to walk in the kingdom, to bring your kingdom and your will to those around us. Come now and teach us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. He, Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go out and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jumping down to verse 36. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Amen. Amen. So, what's the kingdom of God like? How does it impact our world? Well, think about a farmer. Think about a farmer that has maybe hundreds of acres and he's got uh, uh, servants that work for him. And so he goes out and he instructs his foreman and his farm hands to go out and to till the soil and to plant seed. Now, this farmer is careful. He's experienced. He has bought and he has prepared only good wheat seed, pure wheat seed that's going to grow a, a, a strong crop. And so the fields are planted, but later that night or maybe later the next week at nighttime when his servants are asleep and the security guards are not around, his enemy sneaks in. Maybe a competitive farmer who wants to do him ill. Maybe maybe a landowner from another country that's seeking to undermine. We don't know, but an enemy sneaks into the field and he scatters the seeds of weeds in and among the freshly planted field. Now, scholars tell us that this is likely a weed by the name of darnel, 
a poisonous plant that was related to wheat. In fact, it virtually was indistinguishable from wheat early on. It was only once the two plants had grown up and matured that you could tell the difference between wheat and darnel. Once the heads of the grain had formed, then you could distinguish what was what was wheat, what was edible, and what was poisonous. The, the fruit, the grain of the, the plant is what distinguished the weeds from the wheat. And so once the plants start to grow, the servants go out in the field and they can tell, wait a minute, something's not right. And they don't believe it. They know their master. They know that he wouldn't have given them faulty seeds to plant. And so they go to him and they say, master, what's going on? Why didn't you, didn't you plant good seed? Where did all these weeds come from? And the farmer immediately knows it must be an enemy. An enemy must be at work here in my field. And so the servants, they immediately, they're, they're like on it, right? They want to, let's, let's go out into the field. Let's pull up the weeds. But the farmer knows that this is not safe. It's a risky endeavor. He, he says, look, you could go out there, but you might, in the process of pulling out the weeds, pull out the good plants. See, they're intertwined. The weeds are everywhere. The, the roots are likely tangled together, and the farmer is worried that in pulling out the weeds, he'll uproot the wheat. And so he says, no, no, it's best that we wait. Let's, let's let the, the, the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. He says, and when the harvest comes, I'll send out my reapers into the field and they will pull out all of the weeds first. They'll bundle them up. They'll bring them in and burn them in the furnace. That way those, those poisonous seeds can't spread further. And then and only then can we safely harvest the wheat and bring them into the barn. And Jesus explains to his disciples in verse 36. This whole story is about the Son of Man. Jesus is the one who sows good seed, the good seed of the gospel, into the world. And the seeds grow. And as they grow, they are the the sons and daughters of the kingdom. But the devil is at work. There's an enemy, just like in the parable. There's an enemy at work seeking to undermine the work of Jesus to spread the gospel, to grow his children. And our enemy, the devil, plants weeds into the world. In the midst of God's children, there are sons of the evil ones unbelievers. See, the devil is at work tempting, luring people away from God, luring them into the pleasures of the world. The devil is at work deceiving, blinding people to the truth of God so that even when they hear the gospel, it doesn't make sense. The devil is at work accusing. See, there are some that believe the gospel, but they are so overwhelmed with their own guilt. They are convinced that they are not worthy of God's love. And so this enemy is at work tempting and deceiving and accusing And Jesus explains that at the end of the age, there'll be a great harvest. When Jesus returns and and, and all things are renewed, will be a day of judgment. And God will send out His angels to bring in the wheat. And to bring in the weeds. And Jesus describes what, what I think is a horrible, fearful reality. That the sons of the evil one will be gathered together. And will be burned up just like the weeds. And Jesus says in that place there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Weeping in misery and in despair. Grinding their teeth in anger and frustration. But the righteous, the good plants, the sons and daughters of God will be brought into the barn. Into the place of protection. And verse 33 says they will shine with the brightness of the sun. Isn't that amazing? Beautiful warm summer day and you can't even look up in the sky. And you've got to find your sunglasses. And if you don't put on the SPF 50, you're going to get burned. And Jesus says, one day you and I will be in heaven shining like the brightness and the heat and the glory of the sun as we reflect our Father. And this, this story, which I hope, I hope you find engaging, I hope you find interesting, even if you're not a farmer, hopefully you can, you can catch it. I want us to see two things. First is that the kingdom makes an impact because it is distinct. You see, you see how it's distinct? There are two different crops. Two different crops in the story. Two different crops growing in our world today. Believers and unbelievers live and grow side by side in the world until the day of judgment. And as we read, the, the wheat and the weeds are hard to distinguish early on. See, the children of God and the children of the evil one, we live together in the same neighborhoods, go to the same schools, work in the same businesses, we drive down the same streets, mow the same grass, go to the same doctors. We share a lot in common. Those in the kingdom and out of the kingdom share a lot in common, so much so that it may in times be hard to distinguish those following the Lord and those that are not. But we know that they are distinct. 
While the wheat and the weeds are intermingled in the field, in the world, while they are hard to distinguish at times and early on, make no mistake about it, they are different, right? They're planted, first of all, planted by different sowers. Secondly, as they grow, they begin to look different. As they grow and mature and the fruit bears out the head of the grain, we see different values, different purposes, different goals. See, all believers and unbelievers grow in the maturity of their own kingdom, their own worldview. And as they approach the harvest, the difference is obvious. And eventually there will be a separation. And there will be an outcome that is drastically different. One faces judgment, the other faces eternal life. And there will be a separation. Jesus told other parables to make the same point. We'll hear later this summer, I believe, about the parable of of the good fish and the bad fish being separated out. There's another parable about Jesus separating the sheep and the goats. See, while the followers of Christ and the followers of the world live unavoidably together in this life, their final destination couldn't be more different. And there is a harvest coming and the crops will be separated. Now, this this is a hard reality to get a hold of because, look, in the comforts of everyday life, in the pleasantries of everyday life, in the routines of of work and play and neighborhood and community, we can forget the reality. We can forget the reality there are those who live who do not know God. There are those who live who have an eternal destination that is frightful. And so it was the reality of, of the furnace, the reality of coming judgment that, in fact, drove our Savior Jesus to come down to earth. To come down and in a sense climb up on the cross and face that furnace himself. Receive God's judgment on our behalf. And Jesus died to face God's judgment. To rescue the wheat from the field. To spare us from that eternal fate. And he rose from the dead to bring us safely into the barn. To bring us safely into eternal life. That one day we could shine like the sun with his righteousness in his glory. And so the call this morning first and foremost is to put your hope in Christ. To trust Him and to believe in Him. Believe in His work as not only the the sower of seed, but the one who rescues us from the field. Put faith in Christ and then live with Him. Live distinct from the world and share this good news. Share this good news that there is hope. That those who who live apart from Christ, who who for a time may feel like everything's okay, but when when the angels come and the harvest is ready to be brought in, there will be a difference. And so let's, let's, let's live distinctly. Let's speak hope. Let's speak about the realities of God's kingdom. See, the kingdom makes an impact because it is distinct from the world. We are distinct from the world. But we also see quite clearly in this parable that the kingdom is interspersed into the world. Right? And you don't have to be a farmer. You don't have to know this parable to understand this reality. Many of you I know have gardens. And my wife has a garden. It's not my garden. It's hers. But I help her till the soil. And I help her dig out the compost. We have a compost pile in our backyard. And, and, and we, we dug out, uh, I don't know, a couple of wheelbarrows full of, of compost. And I put it into the, the, the garden for my wife this year. But the problem is there's all sorts of seeds and stuff we've been throwing in there all year long in the compost pile. Right. And and there's there's maybe even seeds from plants that we planted last year that now we're mixing up and stirring up. And so a couple couple particular spots in the garden. It's not super big, but where the lettuce is and where the wildflowers are. Right. Did I get that right? Those are the two spots where as those seeds were planted and begin to grow, we're like, wait a minute. Is that a weed? Is is that lettuce or is that a weed that's growing? Is that a wildflower that's about to come up or is that a weed? And and we looked and we thought we got to just wait. We gotta wait and let them grow a little bit to be able to tell the difference, right? Because for now they're interspersed, they're intertwined. Now in the parable, the workers immediately, well let's just go out and start ripping stuff up, right? Like we'll just take our best guess. We think it's a weed, let's pull it out. Why? Because for those servants, those tenant farmers, it made them uncomfortable. Those weeds in the field made them uncomfortable, made them worried, but the wise farmer knew it was far too risky at that early stage to pull them out. And the farmer, in essence, knew it wasn't time for judgment. We had to wait for the reapers at the end of the age. And sometimes I think we feel that way. We feel that way about life in God's world, life among non-believers. We feel worried. We feel uncomfortable. God, can't you just rip them out and get, get rid of them? But you know what's interesting is that the non-believers probably feel the same way about us. Like, let's just get rid of them. 
But as the parable makes clear, friends, listen, it's not our place to make a final judgment. It's not our place to try to harvest people and separate them out and determine whether they are a good wheat or a tear, a weed. In fact, if we seek to pull out the weeds too early, it could be detrimental to God's kingdom, detrimental to the good plants. Because even in, in life, sometimes the roots are intermingled and to pull out one, you could end up uprooting the other. Or we could make a mistake and end up pulling out a weed, right? You ever try to engage your, your six, eight, ten-year-old kids in weeding around the yard? And what's the question they just ask over and over and over again? Is this a weed? Is this a weed? Is this? You're like, no, that's a plant. Let me show you again the difference, right? And, and so we, as, as finite, uninformed, lack of perspective, sons and daughters of God, here we are thinking we got to pull out all these weeds. It's not our place to make that final judgment. We need to let individuals grow until the time of the harvest. Listen, our job is to spread seeds. Our job is to water as generously and as profusely as we can, but it's God's job to cause the growth. It's God's job to harvest a life when He is ready. See, the parable teaches us the reality not only that there are different destinations of believers and unbelievers, not only that there, there are distinctions, but the reality that, that we are interspersed in the field, in God's world. And as one commentator pointed out, the parables of Jesus are not just describing realities, they're challenging us, his disciples, to live out these realities. Remember that this summer. That these parables are not just describing the state of things, they are calling us, followers of Jesus, now you live this, live this way. And so believers and unbelievers are to remain in the world, living together until final judgment. Jesus taught this more explicitly in John 17 as he prayed for us, for you and I in John 17. He prayed to the Father and he said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And Jesus prayed, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now many, many of us, and there are days where I've prayed myself, Jesus, why didn't you pray that we could be taken out of the world? Like it would have been so much easier Right? Why did you have to leave us in the world? Send us into the world. But we have been sent into the world. And, and Jesus prayed and we are protected from the evil one. And so we get this concept, right, that, that we are in the world but not of the world. Some of us need to hear Jesus' words this morning that, that you are not of the world. Some of you have lost your distinction. And you need to be reminded that the call to follow Jesus is a call to take a stand, to be distinct, to be uncompromising. But there are others of us this morning that need to hear Jesus' words that we are sent into the world. Not near the world, above the world, around the world, but into the world. We are not taken out of the world. The wheat and the weeds are intermingled in the field. And so the people of God have been spread out throughout the world in the midst of those that are not following God. And we are intermingled in neighborhoods and business and sometimes in families and schools and teams and culture. Now listen, that doesn't mean that the wheat stops being wheat. No, we maintain our identity, right? Perhaps the primary point of the parable is that there is a distinction we don't compromise our beliefs. We don't compromise our purity. Yes, you do need to set up boundaries. Young people, middle-aged people, old people, there needs to be a distinction in the way that you live and the way that those around you live. You do need to protect your faith. But as Paul taught the church in 1 Corinthians 5, we do not separate ourselves from the immoral people of the world. He specifically said in 1 Corinthians 5 that we should not go out of the world. So we don't hole up. We don't move into a monastery. We don't isolate ourselves from the world. How many people like me have lost count of how many graduation parties you've been to this spring? Anybody else feel like that? Yeah. Praise God. It's great to celebrate. I was at a graduation party recently, and it, it, was, it was a bit challenging, a bit uncomfortable. It was one of those parties where I, I saw current friends, I saw family, some family that I hadn't seen for years. I saw people that I literally hadn't seen for decades. I saw people who came up to me bright-eyed, smiling, because they knew me, and I didn't have a clue who they were, right? And you know that awkward kind of social interaction where all these different groups and swirls and people, and guess what? Some of them 
are not followers of Jesus. And there were some strange, awkward things about it. And some of the people at this party were obviously drinking too much. And some of them were cursing and using foul language. Some of them super loud because they had been drinking too much. Some of them are talking about things that were off color, that were inappropriate. How do you manage? How do you handle yourself in a situation like that? The first thing I just want you to know and hear is, is that if you are interspersed with those not following Christ and you're around people that are hard to be around and they have foul mouths and they have sinful behaviors and you're like, I don't even know how to talk to this person. I don't know how to relate to them. They make me so uncomfortable. If you are uncomfortable, if they seem uncomfortable around you, guess what? You're probably in the right place. You're probably living in the field where Jesus has called you to live. You read through the Gospels. This is how Jesus lived. He always, every single moment, remained distinct from the sin and from the world around him. But he was so intermingled with the people of the world that you know what they called him? They called him a friend of sinners. Man, I hope and pray that there are sinners that call you and I friend. And God, give us grace. Give us grace to navigate this complicated, difficult reality of living interspersed with the world. To be distinct, but to be in the world, not of the world. And so, friends, follow Jesus, trust Jesus, believe in him, be distinct, be pure. And as you grow in faith, as you grow in maturity, grow right alongside of those who don't know God. That's how God can use you to make kingdom impact. Because the harvest, listen, the harvest has not yet come. Judgment day has not yet arrived. And the final destination of of the crops around you, your co-workers and neighbors and teammates and schoolmates and family and friends... Their final destination is not yet set. And God just may use you. He just may use you to bring a friend, to bring a neighbor into the kingdom. And so let's pray for courage and for grace and for strength to live well in the field where God has placed us. Because the kingdom of God makes an impact. And if it's made an impact in you, prepare for God to impact others through you. Let's look at this second parable. In verse 31, it's, it's, it's shorter, just two verses. It says that Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now hear this, this is a little story. It's a short little story, but it's a story about a farmer with a field. And he's got an herb garden in a section of his field. And he takes a mustard seed and he's planting that herb, the, the thing that you squirt on your hot dogs, right? To make, to make mustard plant. Now the mustard seed was the smallest agricultural seed in that region at that time. Probably just about one millimeter big, a tiny little speck. There's some seeds are huge. I read that palm tree seeds can be as big as, as 12 inches across. But this is a tiny little speck. And what could you possibly expect from a tiny little speck of a seed? But the farmer goes out and he plants it in the field. And, and, and he waters it and the sun shines on it. And he gives it some rain or, or gives it some time. And the rains come. And guess what Jesus says? The farmer patiently waits and watches as this little seed grows larger and larger until it becomes the size of of a tree. A mustard seed can become a huge shrub, 8 to 12 feet tall, bright yellow flowers. And and the, the herb plant becomes so profound and so big in the farmer's field that birds now begin to, to fly in and they find shelter in its branches. And the birds hide from the elements and they make nests and they find food among The mustard plant. But nobody saw that coming, right? See, the kingdom makes an impact because it's unexpected. It catches you off guard. It starts small, but it has a profound impact. And I think we see in this parable the reality that something small, something unexpected, something that may be written off can have a huge impact. Now listen, this parable had significant meaning for Jesus and for his day. Because at that time... The Jews, the Israelites, the people of God were waiting, were expecting, were praying, were yearning for God's kingdom. But they wanted the kingdom to come and to be big and to be powerful and to be immediate and to be loud and to be overt and bring global change. 
And the fact that Jesus would show up and be quiet and be subtle and be small. Man, people weren't ready for that. People were impatient. They wanted the kingdom of God to come and be big and be undeniable. And Jesus announced the coming of the kingdom, but he didn't bring it in very big, overt ways. At least not socially, politically, militarily, the way that everybody was wanting and hoping and expecting. See, the seed of the kingdom was a humble, poor Jewish carpenter. Was twelve ragtag disciples. But that small little group that was underestimated every step of the way, they have now, 2,000 years later, because of the seed that they planted, have overturned the entire world. Listen, God often works, His kingdom often works small and gradually. And that idea was completely foreign to the first century Jews, and, and it might be foreign to some of us as well. Right? Because even if you're not from Texas, we want everything to be big. We want everything to be bright. We want everything to happen now. Right? And you might look at your own heart. And you might look at your own faith. And you might think, God, it's too small. The work that you're doing feels too tiny. You might look at the growth that you've experienced this year or the last decade. And you might think, God, it's too slow. I don't see any difference. You might look at your family. And maybe you've just recently brought your family to Christ and you've tried to pray and you've tried to bring devotions. You've tried to set a good example. But you say, God, my family is still struggling and the impact, it's too small. It's not going to make a difference in my kids' lives. Or maybe you look beyond your own heart and your own household. Maybe you look out at the world and you think, Lord, look at the state of our country. There's too few Christians, too few people truly living for you. What can we do in this nation? You might look and think there are dozens and dozens of people in my company and I'm the only one that seeks to be honest, to seek to have integrity. What can I do in my company? You might look at the faith that you see in your son or your daughter and you might think it's too small and the world is going to overtake them. And the influences of the world may seem so big compared to what you see God doing in the lives of your children. Friends, listen, this parable is saying to you this morning, don't be discouraged. And you may hope and want and think you deserve a big, overt triumph, a burst of victory, but growth in the kingdom is often slow and gradual, and so the call is to be faithful. The call is to be patient. The call is to trust God. Kingdom growth and influence in our lives requires patience because seeds take time to grow. And you can't rush a mustard seed. It starts out as one millimeter. It can grow 12 feet tall, but you can't rush it. And God often influences our hearts and His world through small things, things you would never expect. And so those who walked in here this morning feeling discouraged, feeling overwhelmed because God's work is too small, know that the kingdom makes an an impact through small things and that impact is influential. Right? See, the thing about the mustard seed, the thing about God's kingdom, is that it has this major impact. And this little, tiny, insignificant seed ends up providing rest and shade and protection and nesting ground for flocks of birds that come into the field. This imagery, many think, is, is rooted in Ezekiel 17, where we see birds in the parable that are probably representing people outside of the kingdom that are now coming into this plant of the kingdom of God and finding refuge. See, your faithfulness in God's kingdom, your faithfulness in the world has an impact on those outside of the kingdom because the kingdom's influence is far-reaching. And as we are transformed by God, as the mustard seed of faith grows in our hearts, it impacts the people around us, even through small things, through insignificant things, through things who, who you just say, well, that, that wasn't a big deal. Really? Stand back and watch as God uses that thing that wasn't a big deal to, to change Someone's life. I think about Brent Silliman. I don't think he's here this morning so I can talk about him. I would have talked about him anyway. But Years ago, Brent would show up to church in soccer cleats. I haven't seen him do it recently. Uh, now, growing up, Brent didn't play soccer, was not a big soccer fan, but his kids got into it. And you know the drill. Your kids uh, start playing a sport, and you check the little box to be assistant coach, right? Because you feel guilty. And so Brent got asked to be an assistant coach. And he learned and, 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 and figured out soccer. And then one year they, they needed a head coach. And so he, you know, caved in, as I've 
I've done myself. And then they needed somebody to serve on the board of the local soccer league. And so Brent stepped up to do that. And as he began to coach and get involved, he realized he was meeting people and he was having influence in the lives of people. He was building relationships and pouring into these kids. He was getting to know parents. And he was meeting and spending time with people that he otherwise never would have. And he saw it as an opportunity to connect with the community. But he realized that the soccer season is only a, a few short months. And so Brent began to organize uh, uh, um, soccer games just impromptu soccer games, and he would do it on Sunday morning, and he'd get together at 8, 8.30 and play soccer up at Miller Park, and then he'd walk down and show up at church in his soccer cleats. And he was building relationships and organizing pickup games. And then he decided that the, the orphanage, the, the children's ministry in Haiti that we've supported and that his, his father-in-law helped start, he decided he and his son could go down to Haiti. And so for several summers, unfortunately now things in Haiti are so awful that it's not safe him and his son would go down and partner with Source of Life and they would bring down dozens of soccer balls and set up soccer camps and reach out to kids in the community outside of the, the safe home where, where we support. And he would use soccer to connect with these kids and show them the love of God. Now, now here's the thing. If I, if I told Brent, if I said to Brent, look, I want you to play soccer, but, but I don't want you to make an impact, impact for God's kingdom. Or if I said to Brent, I want you to, I want you to do, make an impact for God's kingdom in our community, but don't play soccer. You know what Brent Silliman would say to me? He would say, Pastor Tim, I'm not quite sure I understand. No, actually it's Brent Silliman. So Brent Silliman would look me in the eyes. He would say, Tim, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> See, because soccer is a small thing, but it's not just about soccer. It's about making an impact for God's kingdom in the community. And while it is a small thing, it, it has made and, and, and will make a big impact. And some of you have seen that as you have coached, as you have volunteered at local schools, as you have served your neighbors, if you, if you have given financially to, to ministries and to organizations, if you have come alongside and served and volunteered with people in need. And you think, well, it's just a small contribution. Yep, it's just how God likes it. Step back and watch as he makes a big impact. Because even a tiny little mustard seed can grow to impact a huge flock of birds. And the kingdom of God brings influence and shelter and covering to all the people around. Not just in your heart, but in your friends and your neighbors and your family and your co-workers. And when God's people, when you and I are intentional, intentional to live out kingdom principles... When we are intentional to walk in justice and in love, when we are intentional to live in peace and kindness, when we are intentional to, to speak and to live the hope of forgiveness and eternal life, even things that seem seemingly small, there's a big impact. And God's kingdom expands. And God's blessing is brought to the birds of the air. And they receive and they are blessed. And God's kingdom grows and expands. And it might be unexpected. It might seem too small to make a difference. But God is at work. Let's look at this last parable of kingdom impact in verse 33. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, I haven't done it a lot, but I have baked bread. In fact, for whatever reason... When I was in, in college, my mom gave me a bread maker. My brother got a food dehydrator and I got a bread maker. So I actually baked bread when I was like a 20-year-old kid in college. It just recently stopped working. And so a couple months ago when I went to make bread and it stopped working, I had to do it by hand. And you put the yeast in, right? Just a tiny little pinch. You think, what difference does that make? It almost seems like you could not put the yeast in, right? It's like, who's going to notice? Anybody ever make bread and forget the yeast? I've never forgotten yeast, but I have gotten impatient. Right? And like, ah, I don't have an hour to let it rise. You know, ten minutes ought to do. And you realize how important the yeast is, right? And it's a tiny little pinch. It seems insignificant. It seems like what difference is this possibly going to make? In the parable, the woman puts in a pinch of yeast, a pinch of leaven, and the amount of flour, it's about a bushel of flour. That's a lot. She's making a lot of bread. Okay? Now, now, yeast is it's quite fascinating. Yeast is actually a, a fungus, this single-celled fungus, and it, and it digests the sugar in the flour. 
And as the, as the yeast digests the sugar in the flour, it releases carbon dioxide. And what happens as it releases carbon dioxide? The bread puffs up, right? It fills up with, with, with this gas and the dough rises. Now again, you look at a little pinch, a little teaspoon of yeast, and you wouldn't think it's going to have much of an impact. It looks like a minor ingredient. But over time, with the addition of water, with a little covering, with a little opportunity to grow, that changes the, changes the entire batch of flour. And leaven is what makes bread good, right? What makes it airy and fluffy. See, the kingdom of God makes an impact because it permeates. In the parable, what does the woman do with the leaven? So she hides it. Do you see that in verse 33? She hides it in the flour. She mixes it up until you wouldn't even notice it. It permeates the flour. And you cannot tell whether flour has been leavened or not until what? Until it's all mixed up and it's given time to rise and to bake. And its presence in the, the dough is quite understated. And yeast works in a way that is quiet and subtle and unseen and slow, but the results are undeniable. A loaf of bread with leavening and without is easy to spot. And just like the gospel, it makes a huge impact. It starts out insignificant, but as it permeates, it impacts everything it touches. Friends, hear this. Sometimes the kingdom of God is not visible to a watching world. Sometimes the kingdom of God seems slow. Sometimes it seems understated. But as the love of God permeates, as the work of Christ permeates, as the presence of the Holy Spirit permeates first and foremost in your heart, and then bubbling over into the world, it brings transformation. And your heart is transformed by the leaven of the gospel, the leaven of the kingdom. And you can look and see. It might be slow, but if you look at who I was ten years ago, who I was one year ago, how I have been transformed, the sin that's been overcome, the spirit of kindness and love and gentleness that's been stirred up in me, the way God has transformed and saved my marriage, what God has done in my parenting, what God has done to overcome hardship and struggle and and, and emotional strain and and, and addiction and bad habits. Man, that leaven has, has made a difference and it's pushed out sin. It's pushed out unbelief. It's filled me up with the Spirit. And, and like leavening, faith and obedience have been puffed up in my heart. And so the same work that God has done in your heart, He is at work doing in, in the world. Now, now we look at the world and we feel overwhelmed. We feel discouraged. We feel like, man, it, it's, just, it's just going down the drain. And we see political strife. And every heartbreaking story about a, a, a new instance of gun violence and racial tension that persists. And this month, of course, Pride Month and the transgender movement that has become active and, and pressuring economic strain that many of us are feeling, the sexualization of basically everything in our culture. And we think, how is God's kingdom going to make an impact in this world? You want to know how? As you and I permeate. Permeate the world. See, as disciples of Jesus, we are the leavening. We are the leavening of the world. We carry the kingdom. We permeate the world and we gradually, subtly bring the transformative influence of God's kingdom. And when you and I, humble, broken men and women, when we live intentionally in God's world for God's kingdom, even in seemingly small ways, there's a big impact. And as I said earlier, we bring justice and love and peace and we, we live and speak mercy. We live and speak hope. We live and speak forgiveness. And the kingdom of God, like leavening, impacts everything that it contacts. Everything that it contacts. And, and sometimes... The kingdom is big and triumphant and obvious. But man, I think most of all, it's, it's, it's working through individual people, individual churches who are living for God, leavening the world around them. I have lost track how many new developments are going in in southern York County. I have lost track of how many shopping centers are going in around York County. I've lost track of how many new breweries are going in. And you're like, how many breweries can we possibly support, right? But apparently people like their microbrews. How would you react? Some of you don't like even the breweries, but how would you react 
if you caught wind that one of these new developments or one of these new shopping centers, there was going to be a porn shop put in or maybe a strip club put in or maybe in Shrewsbury and the day may be coming where there's a recreational marijuana dispensary or God forbid an abortion clinic in our community. How would we react? What is the best way for us as followers of Jesus to bring kingdom impact into a depraved situation of darkness like that? Many of us would immediately pray, which is good. We should pray and prayer does affect the circumstances of our world and God hears us. But I don't think our influence in the world should end there. The call to be leavening calls us to action. And so many of us, if we heard about one of these depraved things going on in our local community, we'd start a petition, we'd organize a protest, we'd, we'd start a picket. And if none of those things worked, you know what, we'd, we'd organize things in secret and we'd show up the day before this marijuana dispensary or porn shop or strip club was supposed to open and, 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 and we'd bring a bulldozer in the middle of the night. And we would, we would bring some kingdom impact, wouldn't we? Now look, there, there is a, a good place for for petitions and for protests. Leave the bulldozers at home. But there is, there is a place for that kind of activity. But, but I don't know that it quite catches the heart of what this parable is saying. Here's what I would propose. What if the permeating effect of the yeast had taken root months, even years before the proposed building of, of such a project? Let's say long before such a store was supposed to be open, long before construction on a marijuana dispensary or, or a porn shop was supposed to go, long before the zoning ever got approved, long before the construction plans were ever laid out, what, what would happen if the leavening of the kingdom had already been at work? See, what would happen if there was already a Christian on the town council waiting when the original proposal was submitted? God's kingdom would then have an opportunity to have an influence. What if God's kingdom were already permeating and influencing the world and there was a Christian somewhere who was friends with the business owner that wanted to put a strip club in Shrewsbury and he had an opportunity to minister to that, to that man? What, what if that had already been at, at work? God's kingdom would have an impact, have an influence. See, the parable of the leaven means that God's kingdom is impacting the sin and the darkness of, the, of this world, even at times before it rises to the surface. Do you hear what I'm saying? Let's not wait until the dough has already risen to, to see the ungodly leavening of the world around us. What if we were embedded? What if we were hidden? What if we were impacting, permeating culture and society and business and government and the world? See, for the kingdom to permeate and impact God's world, it means that we are called to pray for our township means that we go to township meetings. means that we serve on your town council. means that we pray for our local congressmen. But beyond that, you write letters to your congressmen. Beyond that, you yourself become a congressman. You don't want to become a congressman? Raise a son or daughter and empower them to serve in local government. Get to know the people in your neighborhood. See, Leavening walks around during a neighborhood yard sale and buys something and talks to people and makes relationship. To be leavening for the kingdom means that neighborhood kids come over to your house to play. And I remember a kid in our old neighborhood lived with his grandparents. And he would get home from school and eat dinner at 4 o'clock. And so when he was over at our house and he was playing at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and we were, he was hungry again. And so that little 10-year-old boy sat down many, many days at our dinner table and ate with us. And leavening rakes your neighbor's leaves. And as you're raking leaves, it asks, how can I pray for you? And you coordinate a neighborhood cookout and you host a neighborhood Bible study. And to be leavening for the kingdom means you volunteer. You volunteer with the Red Cross, with your local school, with your local boys and girls club or the Boy Scouts. Or you coach, you coach soccer, basketball, baseball, whatever it is you coach. Or you give piano lessons, you give dance lessons, guitar lessons, whatever it is you can teach. See, the kingdom permeates, it permeates as we share the gospel, as we speak the gospel, as we pray for the kingdom, as we serve in the world for the kingdom, as we invest in the places of darkness, bringing the light of Christ. See, the kingdom makes an impact because it transforms, it transforms what it touches. The king comes, and as citizens, we go, and we speak, and we bring gospel truth. 
And that leaven transforms everything that it comes in contact with. And so I ask you this morning, have you been touched by the grace of God? Have you been touched and transformed by the love of God? See, that power that takes a lump of dough and turns it into delicious, fresh bread that's done that in your life, that mustard seed that has become a tree to bless the birds of the nation, that's transformation. That's, that's the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As God, first and foremost, changes our lives, and then He stirs us as we live faithfully, we live, we live a way that is distinct And the kingdom of God spreads through us. And you know what happens? The sick are healed. And the broken around us are renewed. And those that are guilty find forgiveness. And the addicts are set free. And the impressed are empowered. And those that are spiritually dead are raised to life. And those that are apathetic are energized. And those that are desperate find hope. Because the kingdom of God makes an impact. This is not about a ticket to heaven. This is about God's transformative power permeating, affecting, influencing our world. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and we're first and foremost going to pray and going to worship and going to ask God to change us, to stir us, to fill us, to permeate our hearts, to to be a mustard seed in our own lives that we could find shelter, that we could find refuge. But let's pray that this kingdom would make an impact in our communities, in our families, amongst those whom we love. Will you stand with me as we pray? God in heaven, we thank you for the gospel of grace. We thank you for your love. And we ask now that as we sing, as we worship, as we pray these songs together, that you would transform us, that you would stir us, that you would remind us of our call to be distinct. For the ways that we have compromised, for the ways that we have given in to the ways of the world, help us to stand strong, to be courageous. That even as we are interspersed amongst co-workers and teammates and schoolmates and, and friends and neighbors, help us to be distinct, to be different God even though we may feel small and the ministries here at Living Hope may feel small and the impact may may feel small God we know that your, your kingdom work loves to transform in unexpected ways and so God use this church to be influential here in the YMCA here in Southern York County send each of us out God to have influence in our families and our communities help us to be men and women that permeate the lives and the relationships around us, that the transformative power of the kingdom would would come in our hearts and in the lives of the people that we love, in the communities where you've placed us, in the world where we live. God, we long for the day when Jesus returns. We long for the day when the kingdom will be big, will be triumphant, where all things will be made new. But give us patience, give us stamina, give us perseverance, give us faith to walk in obedience. And to see your kingdom come even now. Hear our worship. Change our hearts. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.